Um, I'm sitting here in my kitchen with Naomi Wilds, who is the chief producer of Adverse Camera Productions. And we're in a very good mood because we've just gone back from the launch of the associate programme of the George Hewitt Evans Centre for Storytelling at the University of South Wales. And there was a, a lot of excitement and a lot of positivity, I yeah, think is the word, about definitely. the way storytelling can go. So we're on a bit of a high. Mm -hmm. So, Naomi, um, I've asked you <laughs> to have a chat because in this series of interviews about the Mabinogion, I really wanted to talk to you because you have produced two big Mabinogion shows. Mm -hmm. Hunting the Giant's Daughter, which was based on the long uh, Welsh epic, Cúloch and Dolwen, and also Dream in the Night Field, which is based on the fourth branch of the Mabinogion. And I just wanted to ask you what it was like as a producer working with this mad, crazy, deep, weird material. Mm -hmm. uh, it's It's been great, obviously. Uh, it's been really brilliant to work on both shows. I think probably... I mean, I knew that they were both from the Mabinogi, but I didn't really think of Hunting the Giant's Daughter in that way when we first started working on it. And I think when there was the All Four Branches of the Mabinogi in One Day event and the symposiums at Aberystwyth University, that's the, that's the time... Sorry, Aberystwyth Arts Centre. That's when the idea of that piece in that context really came through to me, I guess. And what is that context then for you? Well, I, I suppose I, I had the Mabinogi text from when I was at university mm. and that was probably from King Arthur links, I think, because I did a kind of King Arthur thing. But really it's that sense of the, of the Welsh mythology and the medieval manuscripts. Um, that's, that's, what I, that's what I would think of if somebody said, what is the Mabinogi? I'd think of the manuscripts and I'd think of the talks that Sean Ed has given about that and then about translation. But, but now, what I find really interesting is that it's also about contemporary storytellers in Wales and contemporary storytellers working with that material. And um, for us as, as a company, you know, we've worked on those two shows. Those shows each have a life of their own. They exist entirely, whether you know anything about the Mabinogi or not. But if you do, or you want to find out more, or you want to get deeper into it, you can now have this experience of the layers that are happening from medieval manuscript to modern contemporary storytelling and kind of all places in between, which I think is really fascinating. That's it. That is interesting, isn't it? Because it seems like there's some kind of um, reinvention in a sense, that it's, it's not just retelling the story, but it's retelling the story in different ways, mm -hmm. um, rather than just sticking rigidly to the manuscript. Mm -hmm. Because obviously the manuscript was only one version of Absolutely. what was going around. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I would, I would probably think of it more as translation now, and, and also invention, because that's one of the things I just find fascinating about storytelling, which people don't seem to talk about, is that there is this text, often, that people have had some, done some research in or found that, but also there's the art of the storyteller who's telling that now, and their particular craft, and those two things go together. So when you have a number of storytellers working with different, telling, telling stories that are 
from a line, so you've got like all four branches for instance, and then you'll have different people's interpretations using their own particular style, their own particular approach, and then you see all those together, then it just blows your mind, you know, it's, it's just really, really fascinating. And also you are the person who has probably seen more told versions of the Mabinogi than anyone else currently alive on the planet. Do you think? <laughs> probably. Yeah. When you think to, you think the number of shows you've come to see mm. in your capacity as producer, mm -hmm. uh, hours and other people's, mm. I just because that's you're in a unique situation. I think to have seen the shows done so many ways, and because they're not scripted, mm. to see how things are varied and so on. Is it, I just wonder how that came across because, from my point of view, as being a person on stage, I, I mm. just don't see it mm -mm. because I'm doing it. But mm. what's it like seeing it again? Do you and know, again, and again. yeah, I, I, I honestly, honestly, hand on heart, never tire of seeing Hunting the Giant's Daughter again and again and again and again. And, and it's the same with Dreaming the Night, really. You know, it, Hunting the Giant's Daughter, I, ha I feel like I know better, perhaps because it, it's been being done for longer and in the past, whereas Dreaming the Night still feels quite current and fresh. Even though probably we're almost, we've almost done as many shows, almost. Really? Almost, yeah. Goodness. I think it's 20 something and, and for that one and 30 something for the other one, uh, which is a bit odd. Wow. Yeah. Because it still feels like a new one. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, which is interesting, isn't it? Yes. And the other thing is, I think with this, there was a different process because we had a version. Yes, absolutely. And this one, we, with Dreaming the Night Field, we started from scratch. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so different creative process. Yeah, yeah. And different for us as a company as well. But yeah, I mean, what happens to me when I hear that story, Hunting the Giant's Daughter, I'm talking about now, is it is, you know, obviously the plot is the same from time to time, but it, it, I still feel like I'm going on that journey and imagining it fresh. There are certain elements where I know what that looks like now, so I might be looking at a slightly different thing or you know the words that you use might be different so that might throw up a slightly different take on it or the way the audience reacts to it might be different so I'll never forget that time when we recorded it and the lame ant got such a reaction but the lame ant doesn't always get that reaction sometimes other things get a reaction uh, and, and I, I find it absolutely fascinating how sometimes there are certain things which will always get the reaction like the the old woman always gets the laugh, or the not hair out of place always gets the reaction. But yeah, it is it is it is different. And and then um, when we did it most, well, when you did it most recently at um, Cambridge, mm. and it had been a long gap since yes. we'd done that, or I'd heard it. And the the warrior section, which I do really love, when the band of warriors go off. Those warriors were so real at that point. <laughs> I was like, whoa, you know, they really, they had a whole body presence, you know, everything. And I, I do feel sad for people who kind of, not in a terrible way, but, you know, who are just getting it for the first time because it's so rich that how, if you, if you don't know it already, then, you know, obviously people enjoy it, but I kind of think, well, they... They can't have the same level of experience as if, but maybe, maybe it doesn't matter. It's just Who like knows? seeing a film or yes. something, you know, or reading a book. 
different people have um, in different ways. Because I suppose what your experience is more like is how people would have listened to and appreciated storytelling in the days when it was the major form of mm-hmm. narrative, entertainment mm-hmm. and performance. Because it's not so much, for example, in traditional societies where, for example, the Mahabharata is told in various ways, most of the audience will know mm-hmm. what's going to happen. They mm-hmm. know the storyline, like yeah. the episodes that are going to be performed. It's not so much what the performers are going to do, but how they're going to do it Absolutely. this time. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. And I've, I've definitely had times where I've experienced that, in that um, when, just recently at Beyond the Border, I heard the third branch, and it really felt like the people who were there knew that story, and I was watching it, having thinking about the way that Gito had told the first branch in Aberystwyth and now he was telling the third branch but there were some aspects of what he did which were similar and I asked him afterwards you know was that conscious and he was like oh no I haven't thought about that um, and also um, we're doing a project at the moment with some young people to do with constellations and stories of constellations and they've been working on and hearing those stories and we went with them to a Tim Ralph storytelling club and another storyteller told the story and I could see those two young people they knew that they knew that story and they knew that they knew it from very early on and the looks of recognition and oh yeah we know this one but then the interest in seeing how he was going to tell it and how that was slightly different to the way that they knew it and how interesting that was and I, I really feel like if we could if we could get to a point culturally where we could have that experience more uh, and more people could have that then that I, I feel that's ultimately where we really would like to get to. It's a long process. That situation is much more of a dialogue, isn't it? Mm. Because obviously for many years, as the storytelling revival was growing, in the early days people were telling stories that no one couldn't even remember ever having heard, not even things like the Brothers Grimm. Mm. And now you you know there will be members of the audience who know the Mabinogi or mm. know the Odyssey or, um, or other great stories. And they, I think then that the relationship is is more interesting, and it makes the storyteller less. Um, so what I'm looking for, um, less of the storyteller is sharing something with the audience in a way that's less elitist, perhaps, mm. because it's not they are not imparting knowledge; they're sharing common knowledge, yeah. and their skill is in how they do it, not what they do. Yeah, yeah. Just wanted to ask you your favourite bits mm. and why. Okay. Um, well, it's it's difficult because, like I say, every time it's it's slightly mm. might be slightly different. But one of my favourite bits in Hunting the Giant's Daughter is when there's a section where. Um, Keela comes into the hall of King Arthur and he names all the warriors. And that's obviously very virtuoso kind of performance style, very funny. Um, and he's doing it as a sort of bravado and a, and a proof. And then King Arthur names the specific warriors who he wants to call forward to go on the journey, go on the quest. And I really like the way between those two sections, you kind of, I'd, I've never sat down and worked it out, but it feels as if there's the young bravado of Keeluk and then there's the experienced leader calling of Arthur and how they sit next to each other. 
but also the way that you do that as a storyteller and the way you you kind of cover those I don't know what the words are so it's like the register that you use or the way that you move between a demonstration of what you're doing and then in the in the bravado of Caleb and then Arthur's knowledge and leadership it's, it's really hard to describe but it's it's very very skillful and I think I just I just like that sequence I, I really like that sequence of of what's happening there in the story to begin with it obviously the first anxiety was remembering it mm. and when I didn't have to think about it too much anymore it suddenly became much more meaningful for me because I was much more there rather than panicking about what happens mm. next what name I say next mm. um, and actually it's funny you should mention that because I hadn't actually thought about that change of um, point of view, the change of gaze from Kilochs to Arthur's. But you're right, there is a very clear change and they have very different tones. Mm. But this business of uh, naming and summoning is something that um, I found myself writing about for an article for Storytelling Self and Society that um, Joseph Sobel helped me, helped me write. So I think there is something definitely there about this naming of people and or places mm-hmm. that brings them into the room mm. in some sense yeah yeah absolutely well there's a very strong naming thing isn't there in um, naming is at the at the heart of a lot of magic yeah. and um I, I saw a film recently about Ursula Le Guin's work which she's one of my all-time yeah. heroines and she was talking about the power of naming and how important that is yeah what about dreaming the night field is there a bit there that that's grabbing um, you on the Yeah, I, I also really like in I'm in I'm <laughs> but the there's the sort of special effects sequence where um the uh Troith is going through the water at the end and this and the water comes up and the four horsemen come in and it's like grab the heels and it all goes into slow motion and the huge it's like that again is you know, the um, people at whatever it's called, ILM, Industrial Light and Magic, would have a field day with that. But it's it's a great culmination of that quest, and that that's always very interesting. Um, dreaming the night field. Uh, I I do love in a terrible way Pradery's <laughs> death. It's so awful and so tragic, but yeah. it's so meaningful. And again, I think having heard more of Pradery's story through the other branches, that has even more resonance now. Uh, in in that moment, and also the um, the singing singing of um, play down mm. the tree. I mean, Lynn and Stacey, it's just so beautiful the way that they do that, and the kind of the resolution and the pain of it, but also the the healing. Mm. Yeah, I, I like both of those mm. sections. Indeed, yes. There's something about Pradari's life that makes this material very grown up um, in the sense that it doesn't give you the banality of the hero's journey mm-hmm. um, where everything ends up okay because it doesn't end up okay no he's got all sorts of magical beginnings all the magic happens at the beginning mm. then finally he finds himself gets married um, he ends up in this weird having this weird experience where 
doublet disappears, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and then he comes back, and then he's king for a while. Someone steals his pigs. He goes to sort it out, and then this bloke kills him. Mm. And for nothing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it is shocking, in a way, in the fact that it's stories are meant to be about meaning. And he is a man who kind of had done everything right, mm -hmm. being killed mm -hmm. in, a, in a really pointless, stupid way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's not good. Okay, 50 minutes is nearly out. We should say something cheerful. Ah. <laughs> ah. Why is it... Well, okay, we just we have talked about how grown up it is and talk about sadness and, yeah, and humour and delivering stuff, but why, why is this stuff life-affirming? putting on and watching? Well, I think, we were just talking about this today as well, that I think there's something, I mean, these are these are stories from this land, and even as an English person, you know, listening to these stories, for me there's always something, it's, it's like a landscape you recognise, and that's the physical landscape of Wales, but also, I don't know, there's something about whether it's the stories of the British Isles or something, there's just something about the world we're in, the kind of characters we we have in these stories and, and how they operate that doesn't seem so far away from our world. Uh, but there's also that magical element of the other world and things that are beyond the world that we know right now, but not in a sort of strange mystical way. It's just a, a it feels like it's got real solidity to it and 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 so it's just fascinating you know the first the first time i heard um i heard uh, katie Courtwell's rihanna and it, it's the sort of feeling of something that you kind of know already but you're just discovering more of it and and the the plots are so entertaining you know the this follows that of it is can really shock you and surprise you and yeah there's just it's it's just fun as well as all the other things you know <laughs> It, it is. People like it. Just as well, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Naomi, thank you so much. That's been a very, very interesting quarter of an hour. And um, thank you so much. And oh, yeah. I hope you get to do many, many, many more shows. Yeah, me too.